This is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. McDowell Specialty Repair, Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle and Cook Mortgage, LLC, and Rio Body Center. And now, here's your host, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, we've got an exciting program today that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, In December, the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, has their annual breakfast right before the bowl game. And uh, this year was no exception. And we had a, a tremendous speaker by the name of Chad Hennings. And Chad had... Uh, Played football in college, of course. Played football uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, also, which is really unusual, is he was an Air Force fighter pilot. And uh, so he's had a couple of really exciting careers, and and he shared about that at the the breakfast, and and you're going to hear a lot of it. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. But uh, Chad Hennings is his name, and we'll get to him in just a, just a minute or so. But it's an awesome morning. You know, the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is an organization that I've belonged to for over 50 years, starting way back in Colorado and going to Ohio and Washington and Idaho and Arizona. But I've been a part of that, like I say, for over 50 years, and it's such a tremendous influential organization for young people especially. You know, high school, junior high school, college too, but uh, there's tremendous leadership there, and, and that's what it takes to really build something strong and something that's that's good. And uh, the leadership that we've got now in, in, in FCA around the country, all over the country, here in Idaho, very much so. In fact, that program has our, our huddle groups, which, which go into the schools, have, have grown immensely. And uh, a lot of those people, the young people, come to this breakfast as well. We honor a coach of the year that my wife Virginia and I sponsor. And, and I think it's, it's just an awesome organization. And, and the breakfast is an awesome event. You know, last week we had Coach Andy Avalos of the Broncos on, and, and he did a great job of outlining his his story, you know, and then going into the Bronco f- football program, the you know, recruiting, and, and uh, even the spiritual dimension, having the chaplain. But, yeah, that's what it's all about. And, you know, if you want to get more information about FCA, go to fcaidaho.org. That's fcaidaho.org. You'll learn a lot about it. Maybe you've got youngsters or grandkids and uh, helping them get plugged into the schools or maybe maybe even starting a huddle at a school. So get a hold of Ken Lewis at at the Idaho uh, FCA. Again, that's Ken Lewis. But right now, let's get into hearing from Chad Hennings of the Dallas Cowboys. Well, good morning. You know, the weather's been made mention here a couple times of being cold. Personally, I love the cold. Love the cold. I would much rather, as a former player, play in the cold than play in the heat. Anybody here experienced Texas in July and August? Quick story. I 
My last year with the Cowboys was a 2000 season. We opened up against the Philadelphia Eagles in Old Texas Stadium. This happened to be the year where we had, it was like 48 consecutive days above 100 degree temperatures. So when we played the Philly, we opened it up, it was 114 degrees ambient air temperature. It was 145 degrees on the field. Our offense decided not to show up that day. So as a defensive tackle, spending a lot of time out there, you know, at halftime I had to go in, I got two liter bags of IV just to, you know, stop the cramps and to be semi-coherent when we had to go back out there again the second half. And I swear that that second half, I saw Jesus twice. But, you know, it was an, one more quick story. It was an awesome opportunity for me, experience, to be able to play for America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm gauging the audience now. I'm, I'm looking at those of you that are doing that. But 10 years ago, this is kind of a cool story for those of you from Boise State. 10 years ago, I was asked by the Cowboys to represent them at the NFL draft. This was a program they had started the year before where they asked an alumni from one of the 32 teams to go to the draft to announce a second, third round draft selection. Well, the Thursday night when they're announcing the first round draft selection, for those of you who are football fans know when the NFL commissioner walks up to the stage, they announce the individual team and who they selected. Well, I was there watching with you know, all the other alumni from the different teams when it came to Cowboys' turn. This particular draft was held in a Radio City Music Hall in, in New York City, okay? So that geographical part of the country. Well, when Goodell gets up and he just mentions the word, Dallas Cowboys, the whole crowd erupts, boo, boo, Cowboys suck, boo. Because you can imagine the teams that were preponderance in that, that audience were those New York Giant fans, the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins fans, and those fans that are in dire need of psychiatric care, Philadelphia Eagle fans, okay? But when I heard that, I was kind of apprehensive. What type of reception was I going to receive the following evening when it came my turn to announce the draft selection? Because, you know, nobody likes to get booed, right? So I thought about this for a while. You know, you're a professional. You've been booed before. Just go with it. Well, finally came my turn. I'm standing off stage, and the rules of engagement, they hand you a three-by-five index card. And they say, just read the card. So I read the card, and it was, um, actually, I could read the name. And, and by the way, it was Tyrone Crawford when he got drafted by the Cowboys. So that was the key, a small world. But after I read it, I go, okay, thank God that I could read his name. And then it was, uh, and I'm waiting, okay, mindset, you're going to get booed. Okay, game on. So they started the introduction. Please welcome to the stage, former three-time Super Bowl champion, defensive tackle, but they also added Air Force Academy graduate, A-10 fighter pilot, Gulf War veteran. As I'm walking out the stage, anticipating the booze, I have the polite golf clap. Because even cowboy haters can't boo a veteran, right? <laughs> so I get to the stage. I get to the stage, you know, climb into the podium, and I go, you know what? The world is not in balance. If Philadelphia Eagles fans cannot boo a former Dallas Cowboy. So I decided to ad-lib. So I began to read the, the index card. For the 82nd pick in the 2012 NFL draft, I kind of paused and approved the audience, just for dramatic effect. And I did say, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, the whole place erupted to boo, boo, Hennings, you suck. <laughs> Walked off stage, the world is now back in balance again. <laughs> Sometimes we need to take one for the team. 
You know, but I share that story with you is it kind of transcends in what I want to talk about this morning is excellence. I've been very fortunate to have served for and played for two organizations that exude excellence. Our U.S. military and, and I do believe our Dallas Cowboys. This is the reason why they're the number one franchise in the world. But I want to talk today this morning about how do you exude excellence as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To me, I boil it down to three areas. I'm going to talk about identity, community, and adversity. Several years ago, when I did retire from the Cowboys, I asked myself a simple question as to why. Why did I do what I did? Why did I take the path in life that I did? You know, up until that point in time, I was able to accomplish and achieve, you know, everything that I put my hand to. I was an all-star student-athlete in high school. At the Air Force Academy, I was a two-time academic All-American. Unanimous All-American my senior year. Led the nation in quarterback sacks. Outland Trophy winner. MVP of two different bowl games. I was a fighter pilot. I flew 45 missions in northern Iraq in support of Operation Provide Comfort. I was a three-time Super Bowl champion with a nine-year career with the Dallas Cowboys. But it was a major trial in my life with the health of my son that made me realize that those things that I had accomplished, they were just that. They, they were things. I was really struggling with that aspect of what was that foundational philosophy, that metric that I could pass my thoughts, my words, and my experiences through that would provide me with that meaning, that purpose, and that impact in my life. In other words, what was my identity? It was during this time that I read a book that truly set me off on this introspective process, and it was Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. For those of you who haven't uh, read Frankl, Frankl was a Jewish-Austrian psychiatrist who survived one of the most horrific barbaric experiences a human being could have. He was a survivor of Auschwitz, the concentration camp. This was a guy who had everything taken from him. All his material possessions were stripped. All his family members were murdered in the camp. He was left to the bare essence of what it means to be a human being, and that is just to survive. But as a medical doctor, he made several observations in the camp as to why some people lived and others died. The main determining factor that he found as to why they lived, those that lived, lived, was that they had a purpose or a meaning to live for. Now, that purpose or meaning could be for your faith religious belief. It could be wanting to live for a loved one, a spouse, a child, a grandchild, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, a friend, or it could be for an emotion, anger, or the most powerful emotion there is, love. Bottom line, it was something that caused an individual to live outside and beyond themselves. And on the flip side of the equation, those are people that died. And many times they lived in better conditions, had better food, better shelter, better working conditions, and yet they died. And the main determining factor that he found for those folks was that they lost their why. They lost their identity, their hope, their purpose for living. And in the, in the book, Franco quotes Nietzsche, who said that he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has an identity, a purpose, a meaning to live for can bear almost any how. When I read that quote, I asked, it was like, for me getting hit in the head by a former teammate of mine who's the NFL Hall of Famer Larry Allen, offensive lineman. You've never been hit in the head till you've been hit in the head by somebody that can bench press 750 pounds. That's what I squatted. But when I read that quote, it made me think, what was my why? My identity. Because here's the thing is your identity, what you do does not define who you are. My whole identity, my purpose was one based on performance, particularly as an athlete, as a student athlete, 
as an individual that strives to better himself each and every day. Those are great qualities to have, don't get me wrong. From a worldly perspective, we need that. But I approached my Christian walk, my faith, in pretty much one that was based on performance. It's not what God did for me, it's but what I can do for God. My working to be saved. And how the transition, this light bulb went on for me, after we won our third Super Bowl, I won three Super Bowls in my first four years in the NFL. It's pretty heady stuff. Two weeks after we won Super Bowl 30 against the Steelers, my son Chase one morning wakes up with a fever. Take him to the hospital, take him to the pediatrician. You know, it's, hey, just, it's some fever, some bacteria, don't worry about it, just monitor him. Well, several, couple days passed, we end up having to admit him in the hospital. You know, he poked, he prodded, everything, trying to discern what this was. He was eventually released with what they call the fever of an unknown origin. Well, these fevers, this rash, this inflammation in his body continued, not just for days, but for weeks and for months, pretty much the rest of my time in the NFL. And there were several times where we got to the point where we never knew if we were going to be able, if, if he was going to make it certain times because of this autoimmune process that was attacking his body. But it was during this time that, you know, struggling and struggling, God, who are you? Why is my son sick? Father, who am I? What is my purpose in this whole thing? Before that, I had the world figured out. It was all about setting goals, accomplishing the goals, and working hard to achieve those goals. But this was the first thing in my life that I couldn't control the outcome. As I'm crying out to God, saying, God, who are you? Who am I? God did speak to me through his spirit. It wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't an audible voice. But it was a very strong impression that his spirit spoke to me, and it was like, gave me an analogy that... This is what he had said, you know, Chad, I want you to take your son Chase and I want you to tie him up to, I have a large post oak tree in my backyard, and I want you to invite those fans that you play against, those Redskin fans, those Eagle fans, those Giant fans, and allow them to verbally abuse, maybe throw rocks, hit your son. Would you do that for me? He's like, no, God, I'm his father. I'm supposed to fix it. God, let, let me take this on. Let me do it. Again, it's all about me. Then... He kind of adds on to the story. He says, okay, would you allow them, kind of Abraham Isaac moment, would you allow them to murder Chase for me? And it's like, no, God. Again, let me take that on. And this is where that light bulb, another light bulb moment for me hit. Was that God really told me that, Chad, there is nothing that you can do to earn my love. It is a gift. It is called grace. I sent my son to come into this world to live a sinless life, to take upon your sin and every one that professes my name, sin upon me, upon him, so that we can have a relationship to fill that void. And it's like, oh God, the light bulb went on. I no longer work to be saved. I work because I'm saved. And that's where that, that came to me is that the aspect of grace, of mercy, as it says in Galatians 4, that at the appropriate time, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And for those who are sons, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer slaves, but sons, and if sons, heirs of the living God. Many times we as, particularly as men and individuals, you know, we pray that prayer. God, I, I, I want to do your will. I want to be that. But what does it say in the book of John? To do the will of the Father is to believe in the one whom he has sent. It's belief in him. 
And because of that relationship, we have his Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. And we can do all the things that Jesus did on this earth. Pray for the sick, heal the sick, cast out demons, help the widow and the orphan. That's why we do what we are called to do. But we're not called to do it in isolation. We're called to be a part of a community. That's why they call it the body of Christ. You know, and I think the biggest, we just went through a COVID pandemic. But I think one of the biggest pandemics that we've had of recent years has been the pandemic of the isolated male. Where we really struggle as to who we are. We struggle for relationships. We struggle with that. Another one of my favorite authors is a gentleman. He's a social psychologist, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Haidt. He's written several books called The Righteous Mind, The Happiness Hypothesis, and The Coddling of the American Mind. In each and every one of these books, he pays reference to a pioneer sociologist, a gentleman by the name of Emile Durkheim. Where Durkheim traveled all over Western Europe where he studied communities. And he found where there was not a common moral foundation, a common identity, a common belief system, there was a decrease in happiness and an increase in suicide. You know, and I don't have to state the obvious with that. Look around at our culture today. Durkheim concluded that people need obligations and constraints to provide structure and meaning to their lives. He said, and listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, he said, the more weakened the groups to which a man belongs, the less he depends on them. The more he consequently depends only on himself and recognizes no other rules of conduct than what are founded in his own private interests. In other words, it's all about me. The Me Too generation. Toxic masculinity. All these different things. It's all about me. And I look around and I, you know, I, I experienced that myself. Being in a fighter squadron with a bunch of fighter pilots is very much like being in a football locker room, particularly in the NFL. You got a bunch of alpha males. And you think it was easy to me to be able to walk up to my teammates, my friends, and say, guys, I'm not having, holding it together. You know, I struggled last night. I didn't get any sleep. My son's struggling with this. No, you can't. Back then, my mentality was, my mindset, you couldn't admit any frailty, any vulnerability. So, so difficult. But when I experienced that, that's what prompted me to start a men's ministry called Wingman. Just to get guys together, to be able to open up the kimono to reveal that, you know, we need relationships. And it's okay to be transparent. It's okay to, be, to provide that acceptance, that affirmation, that accountability we all serve. Because I've studied a lot of, particularly for our veterans that have come back downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan with post-traumatic stress. And the number one thing that the treatment for these guys in that case is to be around others and to talk, to share your experiences, to be open. And I see a lot of walking wounded men in the world today, Christian men that may not have experienced combat, but they've been abused. They've been physically abused, emotionally abused, verbally abused. And to be able to process it, we need to be in community. It's essential to be particularly in discipleship today, which FCA is all about, identity and community. But the final aspect is this is why we, including all of us who profess a belief in Jesus to be a part of the body of Christ, we are called to be able to face adversity. What does Jesus say in John 16, 33? In this world, you all have tribulation. You'll have trial. You'll have struggles. But what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
We all struggle. And this is the reason why we need each and every one of you is because, again, I'm a big, I love about psychology and sociology and why people think what they think. In the, in the early 1960s, out of Yale University, they did an experiment called the Milgram Experiment where they wanted to discern how far people would go to listen to a person in perceived authority, how far they would, would go, because they wanted to study predominantly why the German people did what they did during world, working up to World War II, during World War II and post, where they followed Adolf Hitler in the National Socialist Party, where they murdered millions of Jews, they murdered the undesirables, eugenics, the whole thing. Why? Well, they set an experiment up and for those of you who have ever read or ever seen the, the Ghostbusters, the first movie, you know, Bill Murray at the beginning of the movie where he's doing testing the ESP, giving them shock treatments, that was basically it. They had a person in perceived authority in a lab coat with a clipboard that was instructing the test case individual to administer shock treatments to somebody as and they answered a series of questions. If they got the question wrong, you know, they... And they continued to up the voltage and the amperage to the point where the person, the perceived person in the other room would be crying out, stop, stop, that hurts. And then even increasing the voltage up to the point where it would be silent. Where that individual that was administering the treatments, or administering the shocks, would continue to administer the potential perceived lethal dosage. Just rhetorically, what do you think the percentage of those individuals that were administering the shock continue to listen to that person in perceived authority, even know that they were committing harm against that person in the other room. Guess what percentage it was? 67% of the people continued to administer that lethal dose of voltage and amperage, knowing full well that they were committing harm against that individual. But they did a tangential experiment, and this is why you matter. They took two test case, people sitting side by side administering the shocks. If one of those individuals, just one, stood up and said, no, this is wrong, that percentage from 67 went down to around 10%. Someone taking a stand, someone saying no, that's not right, influenced those others to be brave. And part of the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, I stand up here, particularly standing in front of men, you know, I've been able to accomplish a lot of different things, but ultimately, so what? So what? I firmly believe that a person's legacy is not determined by the amount of material possessions you've been able to accumulate over a lifetime, nor is it by the accolades, your accomplishments, your achievements that may be exemplified by the plaques you have hanging on your office wall. A person's legacy is truly determined by relationships. First and foremost, it's with your Heavenly Father. If you profess by your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's first and foremost, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And what's the other of the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to stand because it takes just one individual and what can resonate here. Perfect example is the Coach Joe Kennedy case. Maybe many of you have heard seven years ago, almost eight years ago now, a high school football coach in Bremerton, Oregon, after each game would go to the middle of the field, take a knee, and do a 10 to 15 second prayer just thanking God for his ability to coach these young men and for the opportunity that God gave him to do that. The school administration said because of separation of church and state, 
if you continue to do that, we're going to have to fire you. Well, he was an ex-Marine, a once Marine, always a Marine, but he's a retired Marine. He said, no. And he was a young, he was a young Christian, too. But he said, no, I, 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 you've got to represent myself and to those young men that I coach to be able to take a stand. And he took a stand by taking a knee and thanking God, and he was fired. Well, his life became upside down. He was fired, and for the next seven years working through the court system, whereas this last year, it finally hit the Supreme Court where he won. Which restored, yes, amen. Some of the biggest first liberties that we have, and there's a reason why it's in the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, is the ability to profess your faith and speak out. And that's where I want to encourage each and every one of you to challenge you first and foremost. When you leave here, have that conversation with yourself, with God, but with others. Where does your true identity lie? Again, what you do does not define who you are. What truly defines who you are is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And then I also want to challenge you too. You college guys here, any of the high school students that are here, and particularly any of the men that are here. Ladies, I, I can't relate. I'm a guy. So you got to get plugged in. Do you have those friendships, those relationships, those community groups where you can actually walk up or, and, and call somebody at 2 in the morning and say, man, pray for me. Talk me down off the cliff. Help me with this. We need those relationships in life every day. And then finally, in honor of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the cost of discipleship, if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, has your faith truly cost you anything? Cheap grace versus costly grace. Really question, has your faith cost you anything? And I firmly believe faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. But it's also kinetic. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. We need you, each and every one of you, in this fight. Whatever God puts on your heart to stay engaged, to love your neighbors. And our true identity lies is to worship God and to make his name known. That's what we're about. Let me pray for you as we, I close this out. Father, I thank you for these individuals that were willing to come up, get up early in the morning to attend this breakfast. I thank you for the sponsors. I thank you for the students. I thank you for the parents that are here, Father, that believe in the mission of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and what they do for the student athlete, what they do for the coach. I pray, Father, you grant them your wisdom, your knowledge, your discernment. I, Father, that you give them the provision to be able to execute what you have called each and every one of us to do, to, to bloom where we are planted, Father, to, to take care of the garden in our sphere of influence. Lord, you have blessed us with everything that we need. But, Father, grant us each and every one of us courage to stand up, to profess, I am a loving son or daughter of the living God. And I love you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. And I just pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsor. Christian Brothers Automotive. Security Gold and Silver, a reliable source for your bullion investment. Domino's Pizza. Diamond Heating and Cooling. Hoffman Auto Body, someone you can trust. And Zero Edge Carpet Cleaning. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. 
This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the game plan for life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory. 